Welcome to Grid Talk, a series of conversations with the leaders and innovators shaping the 21st century grid. Hosting the podcast is Marty Rosenberg, an award-winning energy journalist. The series is sponsored by the Department of Energy's Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Now, here's Marty Rosenberg with Grid Talk. Hi, and welcome to Grid Talk. Today, we have Rayford Smith with us, who is in charge of energy analytics and markets for Google. Hi, Rayford. Hey. I'd like to talk to you about some uh, big splashes Google has been making and help our audience understand them. But first, by way of background, you've been around the utility sector for a while. Um, you were with Entergy as a vice president for three years, CPS Energy two years, Duke Energy for a dozen years, and you even put in a summer stint with Enron back in 2001. So you know the landscape so uh, our listeners, I think, are in for a treat for somebody who's been on the utility side of the fence and now is on a major corporate side of the fence, which is the reason for our conversation today. I, I very much would value an update on an announcement made 15 months ago that Google intended to purchase $2 billion worth of wind and solar power uh, your CEO uh, said at the time it was the biggest corporate purchase of renewable energy in history. And 15 months on, how is it going? It's uh, it's going quite well. Um, you know, Google has been uh, carbon neutral since 2007, and we've been 100% uh, renewable energy since uh, 2017. And this purchase, uh, 1.6 gigawatts of renewable energy, about $2 billion, um, that was really critical in helping us uh, keep achieving our 100% renewable energy target. I will say, though, that since that time, um, we've actually released a new goal, uh, a more ambitious one. So what we do with 100% renewable today and what we did uh, leading up to this purchase that you were referencing, we we bought enough energy that when looked at over the course of a year, um, would completely match our energy consumption uh, globally. But we realized that this wasn't exactly an exact match. And so we've uh, shifted to a new target uh, to be 24 by 7 uh, carbon-free energy or clean energy what this means is that instead of doing it on an annualized global basis, we now want to have carbon-free energy every hour of every day, everywhere, at all times by 2030. So this is an even more ambitious goal, not just to do it on the annualized global basis, but now to actually get down into the details and do it at every data center, everywhere we consume energy, every hour. Uh, that's a, a, a much tougher goal than the previous one. So I referenced early on the utility sector involvement you've had in the past. How transformative will this exercise on your part be to utilities in this country, do you think? They're watching what you're doing. Uh, you are, and to give our, our listeners a, a, a sense of scale here, the 1,600 megawatts of solar use and wind that you announced you were going to acquire back in 2019 
would bring the total of renewables to 5,500 megawatts, which is about equal, um, I understand, to the amount of energy that Washington, D.C. currently uses. So this is a lot of energy. What will the impact be on utilities, you think, as you go about this effort? Well, I think maybe to see into the future, we should take a step back and look at the past. So when we announced that we wanted to be 100% renewable, um, Google was uh, one of the first, if not the first major corporate buyer of renewable energy. We, we were doing the first purchase power agreements. Uh, and I remember, you know, in my 30 years over in the utility space, uh, looking at Google going, what are they doing? Um, but what Google was doing was they were they weren't just going out and, and buying clean energy. They were creating a market where there really wasn't one. Corporate buyers really never did this up until relatively recently. And uh, Google went about creating, buying those purchase power agreements, uh, creating a market for it. And then what we saw was a lot of other people uh, following suit. And I think that the transformation that's ahead of us when we shift to 24 by 7 clean energy, we're going to see similar transformations. So take, for example, the problem of time matching every hour. Well, right now, when you get renewable energy, you can either buy the energy and buy the renewable energy credit, or you can just get the REC that comes with it. But the REC doesn't have a different value if it was generated at two in the afternoon or two in the morning. And this is a problem because I think we would all recognize that power produced at those different times has different value. Well, why not the renewable energy credit too? And so when we think about this, we think that there will be transformation to enable things like time-based recs, but really in four major categories that will affect utilities, customers, regulators. Now, there'll be four major areas. And the first is around analytics, right, to figure out what to buy, when to buy it, what's the strategy, how to do it. Uh, the second um, is really around the, the, the hardware, the physical technologies that we use to generate and move and manage power. The third major transformative area is in regulatory and policy functions to enable and uh, promote these sorts of capabilities. And then last but not least are the, the commercial aspects of these things. Like I was mentioning time-based recs. We need to have those commercial products and solutions. And I think that we'll see innovations in all of those areas. And I think all of them will have a profound impact on what the utility of the future, what the grid of the future, and what customers are expecting of, of utilities in the future. So let's, um, you raised a lot of interesting points that I'd like to touch on in the course of this chat, but let's get granular for a second to, to look at what this looks like uh, streetwise. You're building a data center in Henderson, Nevada, and you're going to be uh, putting in 690 megawatts of solar, as I understand it, to serve that da data center. And you're going to be supplying it to NV Energy. So talk a little bit about how that relationship works. Right, well, well, Google has data centers that are in all kinds of markets all over the globe. And what we try to do when we do these uh, arrangements is we try and work with the local utility um, to sleeve a transaction for renewable energy through to us, uh, to contract to it for it directly, um, or to otherwise partner with uh, the local utility to, to enable new renewable energy. New to the world is one of our key concepts in everything that we do. We, we, we don't want to 
just buy from a, a facility that already exists because that doesn't really transform the market. It doesn't really effectively add to the clean generation uh, that's going on. And so um, we always source new. When we do that, um, there are local economic benefits, uh, not just uh, to the county where the data center is, but also to where the renewable facilities are. Um, and we work together hand in glove with the utility to find the right way to build and connect and then ultimately sell uh, that power to us. Um, and, and Henderson is a prime example of it, but we do it in North Carolina and in Taiwan and you know many places throughout the world. So uh, let's throw a couple of other uh, examples in. Uh, I understand you're working with TVA uh, to support data centers in Alabama and Tennessee with 100 megawatts of solar. How, how is that uh, similar to what you're doing in Nevada? How is it different? Yeah, so um, one of the things that we, we try to do is we try to find um, renewable energy deals that are economic uh, and new to the world. And as you can imagine, uh, the same kinds of renewable energy aren't uh, uniform throughout the globe. You know, in places like Nevada, there's probably more uh, solar. Um, but if you were to go to some place like Oklahoma, um, there's a lot more wind. And, you know, we have to find ways to mix and match uh, those resources today to hit our 100% renewable energy target. Where the complexities arise in going to 24 by 7 carbon-free energy is that obviously with the lack or availability of renewable energy in these markets, to be able to hit those 100% goals and to do it at every hour of every day, you can't just buy lots and lots and lots of renewable energy. You also have to find ways to shift that production in time through storage and and by managing your load more effectively. And these are the sorts of innovations that we're testing out now, but also where we really want to go, because we think that's what's really going to help us match that hour by hour basis, um, so that we actually can say that the data center in Tennessee and the data center that's in Nevada, regardless of the local renewable energy resources that are there, that we actually can match 100% of their consumption on an hour by hour basis with local resources. So the utility sector has been batting around the concept of transactive energy for a number of years now. Folks like the Gridwise Alliance have held meetings um, regularly on it. Is it. Is the technology there or is it around the corner where utilities can help you get to real-time pricing for RECs and for the energy that's flowing out over the grid? Uh, oh, absolutely. Um, so there's plenty of examples of real-time pricing done today. Uh, I can cite, for example, Georgia Power, for example, has had real-time pricing for, gosh, um, almost 30 years, uh, where they've been able to do both day-ahead and hour-ahead real-time pricing. Um, that's been pretty much limited, though, to really large customers. Um, and where I see the technology going is, you know, technology's best use is to simplify the complex, right? It's to make and enable uh, people every day in their homes or in their businesses able to do things that previously required, you know, vast amounts of computing capability or staff or whatever uh, to really make it happen. Um, but the ability to buy and sell 
um, isn't just in how do we uh, make pricing effective. It's also in how do we meter it, how do we manage it, and how do we use it. And in each of those instances, like I was saying, in the four areas of technology or the four areas of innovation that we, we, we see, um, there are lots of signs in each of those that show that that capability is either here or right around the corner. Smart grid and you know metering and intelligent grid-based devices was really only the beginning, right? It creates information and the ability to manage those things. And now what we see coming behind it with 5G networks um, and distributed computing is now an ability to more rapidly manage those resources, um, to do them in a distributed and more secure way, and to enable third parties to work together with the utilities uh, and the energy suppliers to ultimately produce the right outcomes. So uh, you are clearly working, as you alluded earlier, in a variety of uh, places. The uh, $2 billion renewable investment, half of it's going to Europe, Finland, Sweden, Belgium, Denmark. Uh, and it's in the United States, a lot of the solar activities, North and South Carolina, Texas. Uh, how do you find the diversity of regulatory philosophies in the United States, uh, let alone around the world, challenging to what you're trying to achieve here. When you're talking to regulators in Sacramento or Albany or down in Idaho, out in Idaho or down in Oklahoma, how hard is it for you to, to talk in the local language or do, are you finding that there's a convergence now and regulators are getting it? I guess from a from a macro sense, I think every regulator I've ever spoken to, uh, and certainly what we see going on around the world is that I think everyone recognizes that that the way we have done this uh, in the past perhaps won't get us to where we want to go in the future, uh, and that things like data analytics new technologies, uh, the significant cost declines we've seen, not just in solar and wind, but in battery storage. Um, all of these things really point to asking, instead of just the status quo, is there a better way uh, to do things? And thinking through that, sometimes this means um, changes in policy or regulation. Um, sometimes it means changes in commercial contracts and structures or in technology or in analytics, but one way or the other, it, it always requires a change. What we try to do is we always try to work in partnership with the utility and the regulators in all of these areas, and it requires us to localize a lot of what we're doing. Like We can't say, oh, I've got a regulatory attorney who's used to dealing with energy matters in California and import them into the southeast and say, you know, please appear before the Georgia PSC and let's explain to them how we do it in California. That's just not going to work. Um, and there are perfectly good reasons why California and Georgia are very different um, and why it would be different in Denmark and different than Taiwan. What we can do, though, is we can bring best practice from all those places. What we don't have to say, we, we have to recognize that, you know, Georgia is unique and, and California is too but we can share those opportunities and those insights from those other places and find, I think, a middle ground that enables you know, the change and the transformation that I think most customers are asking of utilities today, which is to be 
not just greener and cleaner, but also to be more responsive to their everyday needs. And said it requires a bit of localization, right? You can't walk into New York or Oklahoma or whatever unless you you kind of understand what are the issues in those places. And that's a lot of what we've been working on recently is how do we better localize, better understand the, the local issues so that we can more easily understand where the middle ground, where the compromise and where the opportunities lay for all consumers. So I'd like to take you back a few years. Uh, I mean, it's pretty exciting what you announced in 2019, but it wasn't that long ago uh, where Google made a big splash with its Atlantic wind connection with Transelect, where you're going to build um, an offshore hub of wind farms on the Atlantic coast. Uh, originally, a, a $2 billion, $1.7 billion effort of 170 miles, expanding to a $5 billion uh, effort that was supposed to be done next year, in 2021. What went wrong there, and what has Google learned from that exercise? Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the, the key lessons we can learn here, and really, I think, kind of even in a more macro sense, is that you know, building assets, operating assets, right? It's not just a complex uh, uh, thing to make, to carry off successfully, um, but it's a set of risks that, you know, energy companies and large corporate buyers like ourselves, we have to we have to deal with. Um, and that not every contract is going to go from signature to commercial operation date, um, that there will be risks associated with it, right? Market conditions change, tax equity positions change, uh, you know, capital is available or not for various reasons. Um, one of the things that we've done in thinking about this is how do we, how do we better hedge our bets? How do we figure out um, how to make higher quality transactions so we can have more assurance that the, the, the asset will, will come to fruition? Um, but also how do we, uh, as I was saying earlier, partner um, with companies who are in this space to ensure, you know, whatever the issues may be around the project that we can de-risk them, whether it's access to capital or technical or whatnot. Um, it's really about how do we make these things happen? And I think that's the biggest lesson is we, it's not like there's a, an easy button that you just hit and magically, uh, you know, everything that's been signed into contract magically comes to fruition. Uh, there are countless utility examples of the same problem. And we all have to deal with it and figure out like, well, how do we, how do we find ways of de-risking those opportunities so we make them work? So the concept behind it, um, you have a society, particularly in uh, densely populated areas, that's adverse to building lots of new transmission to put offshore wind off a populated Atlantic seaboard. Why didn't it work and might it work under a, a different conception or a div different business framework? Well, I mean, there are usually a variety of reasons why these things don't work, right? Sometimes they are related to, um, you know, where the public's perception of the project is and whether they do or don't want it. Um, certainly that happens. It doesn't just happen to us. It, it happens throughout the industry. Um, I think once, once again, the way to solve those problems is to find where you've got that nice intersection between what consumers want uh, for clean energy, renewable energy, uh, transmission, those sorts of things, uh, where where we need it uh, to, to power 
things and where the utility has the interest and capability to deliver it. That is, as you might imagine, that's a very complex uh, question with with um, very difficult to come up with answers. Uh, and it doesn't always work, right? Uh, if it were easy to do, um, you know, everybody would be out there doing it. But as it is, you know, our, our lesson learned here is that you know, partnerships, conversations, collaboration is really the right path forward because it's ultimately what will help all consumers. And we want to find ways to make that happen in the way that is suitable for whatever that market may be. So so let's linger on that for a second, uh, the concept of what do customers want. You're close to a trillion market, trillion dollar market cap company with 120,000 employees. To most customers, you're a search engine. To the business world, you're an advertising media um, platform. Uh, how did how did you come to the conclusion that what your customers want is this massive commitment to clean renewable energy? Well, we see this in um, our conversations with our customers quite often. Is that they often ask us. Um, you know, what are you doing in this space? And can you tell us more about, you know, your targets, your goals, your overarching uh, objectives as it pertains to not just sustainability, but also to clean energy? Um, we find it's a differentiator uh, from us with uh, other technology companies is that Google is, you know, the uh, foremost company in this space. And, you know, it's kind of part of our brand, part of our heritage. Um, to really be innovative and push the envelope here. And like I said, we, we use that as a differentiator as much as we use it as you know, part of our ethos about what we believe we should be doing, not just directly with consumers, but also generally in society as a whole, is to do, do the right things and help uh, transform markets, energy, and other things so that it, it benefits everyone. So we're sitting here, you and I are, are chatting the end of, 2020, which has been a difficult year. Um, this will be listened to early in 2021. What do you reflect on when you most when you think about the concept new to the world? What you will be working on in the coming years and decades beyond what you have announced and are working on right now? Yeah, uh, I, I think first off is that everything that got us here. Um, that it lays a great foundation, but to, to paraphrase Tom Fanning, uh, CEO of Southern Company, he always says that the biggest hurdle to success is yesterday's success, right? Uh, because you 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 did some things and it made you got you where you are and made you successful at what you were doing, but it also reinforces a habit to keep doing those things. And you know, when I think about what will Google be working on what will technology be working on and what will utilities be working on? I don't think it's the things they're doing today. I think, you know, will the utilities will go and implement smart infrastructure and they will dramatically decarbonize their uh, electric generation fleet. Um, and buyers like us will, um, it won't just be Google. It will be like we did in the past. We will spread this knowledge out and many people will follow us towards 24 by 7 carbon-free energy. Um, and to do that, like I said earlier, I think it requires investments and innovations in those four areas, analytics, technology, regulatory, 
and in commercial solutions, I think we'll be doing those things, right? Those solutions, whether it's hydrogen or battery storage or you know, geothermal or something unique in technology, whether it's worrying about time-based recs and you know, uh, shaped products uh, that get me guaranteed solutions for uh, carbon-free energy at my facilities, or whether it's new analytics to figure out energy efficiency or how to manage load in intelligent ways using machine learning, things that we're working on in all these areas. These are the things that we'll be working on. It, it probably won't be lots of purchase power agreements. It will be things like that the new, the innovative, the stuff that really enables these sorts of futures that we're dreaming up now. The last question I'd like to ask, Rayford, is um, we're coming through a pandemic now that, that's going to be changing our business and our culture. Uh, how do you see it impacting the kinds of issues we're talking about, how the workforce is going to be deployed in the future, how it's going to work, what kind of energy we're going to need and how we're going to use it? Yeah, I, I definitely think that COVID and its impact on the economy and uh, our social norms uh, and all of that is, is going to be dramatically different coming out uh, of this period. I certainly think that employees and businesses are getting more used to having people working remotely. I think, though, that it also requires a dramatic transformation, not just in the how, but also the what, like the tooling, the processes, the authorities, all that stuff will similarly need to change. And we're, we're just at the beginning stages of it. Um, so I suspect that what's to come afterwards is going to look a lot more connected, a lot more digital, um, and also perhaps a lot more remote than it is already. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And thanks for listening to Grid Talk. We've been talking to Rayford Smith, who's in charge of energy analytics and markets for Google. You have been listening to Grid Talk. You can send us feedback or questions at gridtalk at enroll.gov. And we encourage you to give the podcast a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform. For more information about the podcast series or subscribe, visit smartgrid.gov. Thanks for listening to Grid Talk, presented by the U.S. Department of Energy Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Subscribe through your favorite podcast provider or visit smartgrid.gov for more information.